Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. I invite you to go with us to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, today's a big day. It's a big day because we are going to um, conclude this study that we have been in for two and a half months, the study of the Ten Commandments. So I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that... um, that it's been um, a refreshing way to look at these uh, commandments that we probably, many, many of us, most of us, whether you're a Christian or not, have probably heard them um, before. You've probably seen them posted somewhere on walls, uh, um, in a, in a, maybe in a framed picture in your house or something. Um, you probably, if you ever went to Sunday school, you probably learned them. And, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm excited to have gotten to, 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 to share that these with you, to have a log of them where you can go back and listen. Uh, again, either on Facebook or on our uh, podcast, uh, the Oasis podcast. If you look it up, Oasis Church Athens, in your podcast uh, feed uh, or in your app, uh, whatever you use, you'll find it there. And these are all right there in order, and you'll be able to, to go through and, and listen to those. They're not in order. We took one out of order, didn't we, on Father's Day? But I'm excited about this one today, um, this last one, uh, uh, number 10 in our Ten Commandments, because it's probably the most fascinating of all of them in terms of its nature and in terms of, of uh, I, well, we'll get into it, okay? What I want to do first is this. I want, I want to uh, begin with something like this. I want you to imagine today that a genie showed up right now right where, you know, in your house, right where you are, a genie showed up to you this morning. So this is a true story, okay? Uh, So do something for me, if you would. I'm not going to be able to see you because I can't see through the camera here, but close your eyes, if you don't mind. Close your eyes with me, all right? I'm not going to have mine closed because I'm going to read some questions. I'm going to read seven questions to you, and I'm going I'm to ask you seven questions, and then I want you to decide what your answer would be as your eyes are closed, all right? So if you're ready, if your eyes are closed, just whatever comes to mind, whatever you first see in your mind's eye, that's your answer, okay? So question number one, if you could have the car of anyone, what would you drive? Number two, if you could have the home of anyone, where would you live? Number three, if you could have anyone's abilities, like their, their mental ability, physical ability, spiritual ability, emotional, whatever, just their abilities, what would you want? Number four, if you could have anyone's physical appearance or physical attributes, what would you look like? If you could have anyone's possessions, what things would you want? If you could have anyone's spouse, who would you be, mar- who would you be married to? It's a tricky one. <laughs> and number seven, if you could trade lives with anyone, who would you trade with? Okay, you can open your eyes now. So what we just did with that little exercise is we awakened in your mind this thing called coveting, coveting. And if you, if you truly answered those questions, I wonder if you felt it. Like if you answered any, if you answered any of them at all, you're a coveter. All right. And if you didn't answer any of them, you're a liar. And so God still has a problem with you either way because you broke one of the 10 commandments. But what we awaken in our minds with those kinds of questions is this issue of coveting. And coveting is this. It's when you look at what you don't have, but what you would like to have, and then it, it awakens inside of you a discontent with what you actually have, and it, provi- it creates a desire for something else. That's, in essence, what coveting, what coveting actually is. And Paul explains it like this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I, Paul actually says, I went back and read the law. And so he's talking in particular about the Ten Commandments, right, where we're, where we're going to be today in our study. And he said, I didn't even know what coveting was until I heard about coveting. 
And then it awakened in me this desire to start coveting. So Paul asked this question. He says, well, well what, what, you know, what does that mean then? What, is that, what does that mean? Does that mean that God's law is bad because it made me start coveting? Right? I mean, that's what many people might think. You might think, well, I didn't know what it was. And if I don't know what it was, once I learned about it, I started coveting. And so the law is bad. And Paul's like, no, that's not the, that's not the right answer. The answer is that I'm bad. The law, God's law is good and I'm bad. And so when there are sins that I haven't even thought of yet or I haven't even considered yet, as soon as I hear them, which is really what the law does, the law shows us what is right and what is wrong. We, we may not even know it, but we may be committing it anyway. But once you see it and you know what's right and you know what's wrong, what happens is all of a sudden I'm attracted to them, Paul says, and I'm desirous of these things. So the law is good. It's meant to help us distinguish between right and wrong. But I'm bad. And so without a new nature, without a new nature, with new desires, what happens is the law awakens in me old desires. And you may have experienced that. You may experience that when you think about the answers to questions like we just asked. As soon as I started asking questions about coveting, all of a sudden you have new categories in your mind, formalized in you know, categories in your mind for coveting that maybe you didn't have before. Maybe you didn't think about before. Well, that's our subject for today. And, and, and we're in these 10 commandments. We're dealing with the 10th and final commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And we're going to read that here in a minute, but here's the definition of coveting. I want to give, I want to begin with, with defining coveting. And so I'm going to give a long definition, sort of the longer definition, but then I'm just going to give a real short version. All right. So here's the long one. Coveting is an ungodly, it's ungodly discontented desire. So it can be passion or envy or craving or greed or jealousy or obsession or longing or lust for something or someone that is not supposed to be yours. So here's a shorter version. I think we could, if we just, if we thought about it this way, then I think it gets to the heart of the heart of the matter. Coveting is when you don't want what God wants for you, but you want something else. Coveting at its root is when you don't want what God wants for you right now, and you're wanting something else. That's the simplest definition that I think that we can give for coveting. Basically, God says, this is what I want for you. This is what I have for you. And, and you say, well, that's not what I want for me. That's not good enough. That's not enough. And there's this conflict between what God desires and what you desire. And that's where coveting at its, at its smallest form finds its inception. That's how coveting begins. And it starts to give birth to what we know as sin. And James says that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death, of course. So I want you to consider with me, if you will, what a massive problem coveting is in the world in which we live today. I mean, it's absolutely all pervasive. It's almost overwhelming and it's constant and it's continual. And really, if you think about it, our entire economy is dependent on coveting. And so in light of that, we're going to hear what God has to say about it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. So this is the 10th and final commandment. God says this, you shall not what, what is the word? Covet. So you shall not covet. And there's a whole lot of things here that he's going to give us as specific examples. So he begins with, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's basically, right? So what's happening here is, is, is this is not an exhaustive list. God's not giving Moses an exhaustive list because then it says anything that is your neighbor's, right? Because I mean, I could see us reading this today and say, well, my neighbor doesn't have an ox, right? My, my neighbor doesn't have a donkey. We actually did have a neighbor that had a donkey a while back, but that's not, I mean, here's the thing. Well, if, 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 they may not have an ox, but if you like their Lexus, all right, that's, their, that's our version of, their, of an ox, right? What we're talking about here is a list of things that is not all-inclusive, but, but, but can be examples that we can, we can translate into our own lives here in year 2020. And, and so when he uses that kind of language, like for example, when he uses the language of house, right? It, it can mean house or it can mean household. I mean, really, 
In the Hebrew, this is talking about something bigger than just the structure of his home, but his household, which includes his possessions. It can be anything, right? Because the Bible talks about everyone, everyone in Job's house um, was was you know was, was suffered, and 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 so he's talking about his household. He lost all of it that he had, and so they they use this term interchangeably. So it can be your possessions, it can be your business, it can be it could actually be the home in which you live, it can be your vacation property, it could be all of your your gear or your boat, it could be your country club membership if you've got one. If you're an artist, it could be all of your stuff that you use, your your instruments and things. If you um, if if you're if you're a parent, it can be your children. If you're married, this can include your spouse. This this includes the cars you drive, the clothes you wear, the styles that you have, the way you do your hair, literally everything, okay? This might include things like the employees that you have. If you're if you're an employer and you own a business, or it can might it just might include the job that you have or the jobs that you have. Everything is connected to you. Everything that is connected to you is part of your household. So that's it's all connected here. So everything, literally everything, is a possibility for coveting, including your own appearance, the appearance of the people that are closest to you, like the appearance of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. The behavior of your own children could be something. For example, you might be discontented with the way your children behave, and you'd start to covet the way somebody else's kids behave, and you wish you had that. You wish you had their life, right? You wish you had the things from their life, the people from their life, the abilities and experiences um, from their life. So that's, that's what the big picture is of what coveting means, okay? So this 10th commandment, as I said earlier, is really fascinating and it's fascinating because it's unique. And I want to I want to show you four ways that this commandment is unique to the others. And the first way is this. It's not external, but it's internal if you think about it. Up to this point in our study of the 10 commandments, everything that we have dealt with has been primarily external. There's one God. There's one God and he's out there. He created everything. Uh, don't steal things out there. Don't murder anyone out there. Don't commit adultery out there, right? And then all of a sudden we get to this 10th commandment and it's entirely in here. It's not just external. It can become external. In fact, the because of this command, this sin, it causes us to break other ones that are external. So this last one is really primarily internal. You can be coveting, for example, and no one else will know it except for you, right? I mean, if you're murdering or if you're stealing or you're lying, other people can bear witness to that. I mean, other people will know and, and it's, it's not a private sin. It becomes a very public thing. But coveting is a private thing. It's a, it's a personal thing. It's an internal sin. It's something that only you know that, that you're doing. And so that, I think, makes this command really, really unique. And what it reveals to us is that God sees not only our works that we do with our hands, but he also, and he doesn't just hear our words that we say, but he also knows our hearts. He looks internal. God knows this. He knows the thoughts of our minds. He knows the desires and the longings of our hearts. And God judges all of it, not just what you do and your behavior, but he also judges your desires and who you and what, what's in here and what's in here. And sometimes what you hear people will say is, you know, whenever you hear, I think whenever you hear people say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, right? I think what they're saying is, well, externally, I haven't broken a lot of laws, right? And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not murdering anyone. I don't steal. I haven't committed adultery. So I'm a pretty good person. But the thing is, we come to this last one. We come to, to number 10 and, and we learn that God also knows the heart. He knows us internally, and he knows that, that maybe we haven't broken laws physically, externally, but we've broken them in principle in our minds, if not in practice. So the, the, the first thing is that it's, it's, it's internal, not external. The second thing is this. This law is it's, it's unique because it's unprecedented in other moral codes. You won't find this in other moral codes, like in, in culture, for example. You know, some people will, will sometimes say, well, Christianity has the Ten Commandments, and, and the Ten Commandments is the basis for morality and law, and then other cultures basically have the same kind of moral framework and structure, right? And, and we just kind of think about the Ten Commandments as being all these outward things, right? Well, this is actually not, I mean, it's, it's not totally true because 
This command is actually an exception. The coveting command is an exception. What I mean by that is this. You're not going to find other moral codes out there that are trying to govern people's inward desires, kind of, that, are trying to, that are trying to govern our hearts. In fact, laws are by definition trying to oversee and regulate and limit people's external conduct, not their internal desires and motivations. And, and, and that's one of the things about this particular, this particular law is it's actually pointing to our hearts and our heart's desire and our motivation and what's in our minds and our hearts. And so it's, it's almost, it's really unprecedented to find a law like this. Uh, number three, number three is this. It, this law shows us the difference between what is a sin and what is a crime, okay? So there's a difference sometimes in what is a sin and what is a crime. For example, murder is a crime and a sin, right? You can get arrested and go, go to hell for it, for, for both those things. Coveting is a, is a sin, but is it a crime, right? I mean, no government could pass a law that they would start enforcing anti-coveting laws, right? I mean, it's, you couldn't, there's no, there'd be no way to enforce that. You couldn't say, well, you're guilty of coveting and that's going to be 30 years and 30 days in jail, 30 years, that's a long time, 30 days in jail for, for, you know, for guilty of, you know, coveting. That's what you're sentenced to, sentenced for. It's something that's just, it's, it, it can't be seen. So it's solely judged by God and God actually invites us to judge ourselves, right? I mean, that's, that God, God wants you. I mean, God will, will ask you to judge yourself. People will say things like, well, you can't judge me. Well, here's the point is, well, you judge yourself, right? You know your heart. You know your heart's desires. You know your longings. You know your passions. You know your pleasures. You know your motives. You know who you are. So God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, will help you then to judge yourself. And it's true that no government can come along and, and judge your heart for coveting. In fact, uh, uh, even I mean, not even another person, a fellow believer, can come along and necessarily judge your heart for coveting. It's something that really only you know and the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And so that's something else that makes this, this law unique, right? Because the others you can outwardly be judged for pretty easily, but this one is completely between you and God. And then the, the, the fourth thing I'll say is this, and this is kind of where we're going to, 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 to land today, and that is this. Coveting is the root of other sins. So God here is not just concerned about behavior, but also desire, okay? Because those two things go together. Jesus actually says it this way. He says, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And, and the point is that good desires lead to good actions and bad desires lead to bad actions. And if all you're ever dealing with are the actions, then you're not really helping people and you're not seeing people change. They see no need to change if all we try to do is govern their external behavior. Because what you're dealing with in that case is simply behavior modification and not salvation. You're trying to get people to be moral instead of being born again. You're trying to change their outward behavior without a transformation of their inward heart. Listen, this is exactly why a lot of our issues today where people are trying to get people to change their outward behavior and the way they speak. It's the issue of racism. You can, you can, you can try to outwardly force someone to change the way they, they speak or outwardly force the way they use certain words or mascots or whatever, but until, until there is a change of heart. They might, they might change the way they speak. They might change the way they, 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 they say things outwardly, that's not gonna, it's not gonna last. And it never does, does it? We end up with more riots, we end up with more protests, we end up with more problems. And the reason why is because we're only trying to change people's outward behavior. And that is never, not ever, ever going to work. The change has to come from in here. And that's why this last commandment is so deeply important because that's exactly what it's dealing with. It's dealing with the heart of the matter. Proverbs says, uh, the proverb writer says, uh, guard your heart. It's one of my favorite proverbs. Guard your heart for it is a wellspring of life. So just as water flows out from a spring, life, your life 
flows out from your heart, all of your life. And Jesus actually expounds on this exact same idea when he says that out of our heart come the desires that we have, the words that we speak. All of the words that we speak come out of the desires of our heart. And 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 that is where it begins. It's where everything begins, right? So maybe, maybe as we, you know, as as you walk in your relationship with Christ, maybe some of you have really been trying to get certain behaviors under control, right? Maybe certain addictions or certain compulsions, certain longings that you have or, or failures that you know you have again and again and again, and you try to manage those things by, by removing things from your life or changing a habit here or adding something here or getting rid of something here. And the issue really is that God needs to do some work at the center, at the foundation of who you are. That's the issue. That's always the issue. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's obviously not talking about the physical organ of the heart, the pump, 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 pork. The Bible is talking about the center of a person. So we use this language today. We say something like, you know, I, I've, I've even said it already here this morning. Let's get, let's get to the heart of the matter. And when we say we're trying, we, when we need to get to the heart of the matter. What we're talking about is the essence, the, the source. We need to get to the, to the very root of the matter, right? So the Bible uses this word heart, and the Bible actually uses the word heart some 900 times in both the Old and New Testaments. And so this issue of coveting is really a heart issue. It's an internal issue that leads to external action. So here's the big idea. If you deal with the heart problems, then you will deal with the behavior problems. But if all you do is deal with the behavior problems and the heart problem is still there, the behaviors are never going to stick. They'll never stick. If you've got a coveting problem, and you deal with the coveting problem, then what, what you find will happen is you'll end up resolving a lot of other problems as well, a lot of behavior problems. Many of our sins that we commit, many of the other sins that we've dealt with in these Ten Commandments, begin with coveting. I mean, some people might ask, well, why would God put coveting, the coveting commandment then, at the, at the end, at the very last commandment? Because ultimately, if it gets to the heart of the matter, you know, it, it, it sums up all the others. Maybe he should have started with it, right? Well, what this does is it, is it sort of, it gives us everything and it reorganizes our heart. We, we see this and now we've come to this and we can reorganize our heart, reorient our life and allows us to avoid the violation of the first nine commandments through obedience to the 10th commandment. So, so I, I, I want us to see how this one just sums everything up, right? I mean, let, let, let's think of it like this. I, I think if we, if we remember that God is a father, and that these aren't just laws that he's giving us like a governor, but, he, but he's giving them to us like a father, okay? So if you think of it in practical terms like parenting, like when you're parenting a kid, you're not just looking for moral behavior, but you're looking for, you're hoping and praying for new desires, which will then influence their new, new behavior. And you won't have to keep telling them what to do because their desires will be to do the right thing, right? So if you're dealing with someone who's got life issues, you don't just try to encourage them to get better habits or to, to behave a certain way. What they need is new desires. That's what they need. We need to pray that people will get new desires. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will change people's hearts because that's the only way that behavior is going to change. So here's, here's the big idea. Here's the big idea behind all of this. Only Jesus gives new desires. That's where we have to go. So that's coveting in a nutshell. Now let me say this. When God says, when God tells us to not covet, it's going to be easier, I think, for us to receive this and to live by it when we understand who God is. Understanding who God is helps us to understand how and why he is saying it. And I, and I know that I've stressed this a lot throughout the Ten Commandments, but like when we first began and we talked about God and, and God giving us laws, I talked about how he's a father. And, I, and we need to remember that, that he's a loving, perfect, gracious, concerned father. And if all you do is receive these laws and you don't know the lawgiver, then the laws will make no sense whatsoever. You won't know how to apply them. You won't, you won't love them. In fact, this might even be controversial to say, but I'm just going to say it anyway. 
I'm not sure that presenting the Ten Commandments to non-Christians in the world is really all that helpful. Unless we also tell them about Jesus. I mean, I'll be really honest with you. I don't think having the Ten Commandments on the walls of a courtroom or in a school or whatever, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Because the truth is, most of the people that are walking through those hallways have no idea how to, how to live by those. They have no idea what they truly mean, what the heart of those are, unless they know Jesus. There's no way that the Ten Commandments can make any sense unless you know who God is and what God does. What happens is this, and here's the, here's the reason, okay? It just ends up being morality. That's it. And there are moral people who are going to hell because we're not saved by our good works, but by Jesus's good works. That's the difference. We're not saved by keeping the law. You can keep all the Ten Commandments all your life. You've, you've broken them, right? You've broken some, at some point, you've broken it one time. You, you, you can't be saved like that. We're saved by Jesus keeping the law. That's how we're saved. So that being said, I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll try to give you an example so that we can think about this in real world terms, okay? So I've, I've helped to raise two kids, as you all know, Brock and Kaylee. They're both, they're both adults now. But let's, let's just say things. Let's just say that, you know, they're both living here at home, so this is still fair. Let's say that I had some things I wanted them to do, okay? And so I put together a little chore list, and I put it on the fridge, and I left a note. I stuck it on there, like, let's say in the morning, I stuck it on there, and I said, hey, guys, while you're here, um, this is from Dad. Here are some things I need you to do today, all right? Now, my kids would hopefully grab that list and they would read it and they would say, hey, you know what? Or they'd think of this, maybe. My dad loves me. I know that he cares for me. I've got a relationship with, with him and he loves me. And when my dad asked me to do something, there must be a good reason for it. It must be important for the family. It's important to him. And therefore, I should do it. Now, that's a lot different than, let's say, they get an anonymous letter in the mailbox and they walk out there and get the same exact list from someone that they've never met and they get a list and then a bag of beans or something, right? Or seeds, bag of seeds and a list. And, and, and it has all these chores on it, right? What do you think they would do with that? Anything but the chores. <laughs> Anything but the, they'd probably just toss it. They wouldn't even open it. Probably just toss it in the trash, right? Why? Because there's no relationship there. There's no parental authority. There's no affection there. So, you know, like why in the world would I obey a list of rules from somebody that I don't even know, Right? Most people look at the Ten Commandments, those are a list of rules from a God they don't even care about, a God they don't even believe in, a God they don't know as a father. I mean, it's different when it's your father. It's different when you know that that father really loves you, when he's really invested in you, when he has demonstrated his affection toward you, and you know that, and you feel it, and it's, it's undeniable to you. When you have a father who then gives you a list, you know, of, of those things, you receive it as loving. Like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. You don't receive it as a bunch of laws that you hate, but you receive it as loving, wise instruction, right? At least you, you, at least you should if you're a child who's walking in wisdom, right? So when it comes to the Ten Commandments, it's the same thing that says in the Proverbs when the, when, when, uh, the Proverbs writer says, the father says to his children, hey, heed your father's instruction, listen to your father's warning, embrace your father's wisdom. So it's kind of like that, right? And I know that some people balk at this because we don't like rules, we don't like laws, but it's easier to understand the real grace that laws are when you understand the heart of a father who, who gives those laws. And when the father gives us laws, they're good for us. Therefore, our flourishing. And if we believe that, then our lives will actually be better because of it. Another way to say it is this, I think. The father says, hey, do this and don't do that. And what he's saying is, don't hurt yourself. I want, I want you to do these things because I don't want you to hurt yourself, right? I mean, like when my kids were growing up, I don't feel like we had a ton of rules, right? I think the rules that we had were pretty much centered around, hey, look, don't hurt yourself and don't hurt others. I mean, that's I mean, so. If there was a rule, it usually came down to the reason. You know, if you break this rule, you're probably going to hurt yourself. Or you're probably going to hurt somebody else, and that's and that's not flourishing, right? We want your life to flourish. We want your life to be better. We want you to be to not be to, to, to hurt yourself or to hurt someone else. We want you to have a long life. That's the way Paul puts it in in Ephesians that you may enjoy a long life, right? Children obey your parents that you may enjoy a long life. So what the Bible does is it is it always. Throughout the Old Testament, it continues to pick up this concept of God as a father, and he gives laws and rules that are for all of his children, and he gives them in love, and he talks about these commandments, and then it concludes here with this, this 10th commandment that we're studying today about not coveting, and then from that point forward, the Bible just continues to revisit this idea of coveting, and it teaches us ways in which we continually hurt ourselves, and we hurt others whenever we violate this commandment. 
And we, and we hurt the Father. We hurt the heart of God as well when we violate this commandment. You know, two things I'll say about this is, 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 is what happens when we break this commandment is we break the Father's heart and we, and we end up hurting ourselves. So coveting hurts. I mean, it breaks God's heart. We, 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 when we break laws, we're, just, we're, we're not just breaking laws. We're breaking something that the Father has given us to do. I mean, like if I say to my kids, hey, don't, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt someone else. And they, go, they, they would go and do it. They've not just violated the law, but they've grieved me, right? They, they're, as their dad, as someone who I thought tr- they trusted my word. The laws are not just out there by themselves. They're an extension of the Father. They're an expression of the Father. And so to violate the law is also to grieve the Father. So it hurts the Father. But then the second thing is coveting hurts you. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Take care, uh, be on guard against all, and then you could probably guess what the word is that's coming next, covetous, covetousness. Covetousness, that's not easy to say. The word that we're studying today, going back to the 10th commandment. Jesus is speaking about the 10th commandment, right? He says, hey, look, you got to keep your eye on this. Be on guard. It's like the proverb saying, guard your heart all the time. I mean, you got to be on 24-hour security detail, right? Their security detail is not just 9 to 5 because thieves always come at 5.05, right? you you got to be on guard all the time. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your desires, your longings, your hearts, your coveting, you're going to have to, to be on guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He says this because life's, one's life, your life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness because one's life does not consist consist of the abundance of his possessions. I don't think we believe that. I think we hear Jesus say something like that, right? It's, it's almost like he's talking like Zen, weird fortune cookie stuff. Like it's something you would open up in a fortune cookie, right? One's life does not consist of the one of, of one's possessions. Oh, that's wise. Let me eat the cookie now, right? Sometimes we, th- we think, we tend to think that things, when Jesus says things like that, that it's just like crazy talk, right? Or it's just some kind of mystical talk. But Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about. And, he, and he, he, what he does is he always connects the desires of the heart with the possessions of life. It's not, it's, you know, it's not only that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but it's also out of the overflow of the heart, the wallet spins, right? Your, your life is not about what you own, Jesus says. Your life is, does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. And what Jesus is, is anticipating here, I really believe, is he's anticipating what some you know, sociologists of our day will call consumerism. Coveting creates in us, it creates this thing called consumerism, which has really become a religion of sorts. Consumerism is when your identity is based upon your possessions. That's exactly what Jesus said, that one's life does not consist of the, the, the abundance of his possessions, right? I mean, so what you drive, is, it's like your identity is in what you drive, or your identity is in what you wear, or your identity is in you know, what you eat and what you look like, or what you drink, or where you live, or who you date, or who you marry, and all these things that you have in your life, like we said in the beginning, you know, we read the, the verse about coveting. You know, and, and the whole thing is, why do these things exist? Why do we have them? Why do we put so much emphasis on them? What, what are they doing? They're glorifying us. So it comes back again to a worship issue, does it not? These things, these possessions show us how great I am. They, they, show, they show people how much I've accomplished. They show the innate, eva- the value that, that, that I possess or the value that I am as a person. And that's, that's what consumerism is. Sociologists have this, they, they also talk about this thing called um, conspicuous consumption. Conspicuous consumption, it's where we spend money for things that we, um, just like things that we don't need, but just kind of like, it's like making a statement about who we are, right? I mean, there's, sometimes we buy things, we might spend a large amount of money on things that we don't really even need, that we know we're probably not even going to use that much, but we just do it, right? And what does this lead to? Here's what it leads to. It's a, it's a slippery slope. It's just a vicious cycle. It leads to more advertising and marketing. We were just talking about advertising and marketing before we started, before we went live here this morning about how weird it is that you could be talking about something and I can mention something, you know, like um, Nike shoes. So watch, what's going to happen? I mentioned Nike shoes and my Facebook is on right there. And this afternoon, if I were to open Facebook, what I'm going to see ads for? Nike shoes. I'm going to see all kinds of ads for that. I can mention something weird, you know, like some kind of whole grain dog food, right? And now I'm going to see ads for whole grain dog food, right? That kind of thing happens. What, what's happening there? At, I got you. Look, I, I work in the College of Communication, right? There, we have a marketing 
we have a marketing and PR uh, major that people people actually take. I don't think advertising and marketing is all bad, but here's the thing. I know our hearts are bad. I know by nature, my heart is bad. Outside of a transformation from Jesus and what advertising and marketing exists to do is create coveting. That's, that's what it exists for. And it, it awakens it in us. It, it exists to create, literally, a desire in us that we did not previously have. If you think about it. If you think about marketing and, and, and advertising, it exists to create in you a desire that you did not previously have. True or false? I'll give you a true or false question, right? If you watch a hamburger commercial or a pizza commercial, let's say, right? Immediately, the only thing you're thinking about until you eat a pizza or have a burger is a pizza or a burger, right? I mean, you could be like sitting, sitting here and you're watching TV and all of a sudden this pizza commercial comes on. You might be like, ooh, I wasn't thinking about pizza all day. But now I can't think about anything but pizza. I got to get a pizza. You know, If I don't get a pizza, I'm going to keep thinking about pizza until I get a pizza, right? And all of a sudden it becomes this unquenchable desire. This is why so many burger joints are open 24 hours a day because you see those, I mean, you know, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. There, you know, pizza places being open until the wee hours of the night, right? It's 3.05. Oh, we need to get a pizza, right? It's kind of strange. But the world in which we live, where people are coveting all the time, we have to. Ha- the world has to be available to meet the needs, the demand of our instantaneous desires that we have. And that's the economy that we've built. Here's a really crazy illustration, if you think about this. Many of you probably have I mean, I, I guarantee you a lot of younger people probably don't know. I mean, and I don't even remember myself, but there's a, there was a store called Woolworths, all right? So when I mention Woolworths, we're going to find out who's old uh, watching because you're gonna, people will be like, I know, I remember Woolworths. Uh, but it was one of the first department stores that, well, before, before there was Woolworths, all right? So if any of you grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, have you guys ever watched an episode of Little House on the Prairie? Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, Little House on the Prairie. So good. It's not just for, for old people then. There was a store in Little... Who was the evil blonde girl? What was her name? Nellie, Nellie, yes. Nellie. So Nellie is the Greek word for demon. And so Nellie's family owned this store, right? And her mom was horrible too. I I don't remember what her mom's name was, but man, it's like her mom just like enabled her behavior. But then you got the dad who enabled all... The dad's like this cool, like everybody loves Raymond type of guy. Just, 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 uh, everybody picks on him. But that was kind of cool. But the, but so anyway, that their family ran the, the local store, right? They owned the store that was in town. So let's say the Engels came down to buy something at the store and Nellie's dad was working at the counter. And if they wanted something, they would tell him what they wanted. And then what would he do? Where would he go to get it? He would go back into the storeroom to get whatever it was that, that, you know, that, uh, I don't remember what Engel's name was, but uh, anyway, whatever somebody wanted, okay? If, so you, what that means is when you went to the store, you had to know what you wanted because there, it wouldn't be out there. You would have to just tell the guy what you wanted. It's a lot like some of these auto parts stores where you, you tell them what you want and they go in the back and get it, okay? But there's still, it's still not the same. So, you, I mean, essentially you'd walk into the store and there wouldn't be anything out, okay? So here's what happened. Woolworths comes along, and I love Woolworths because... When I every time I think of Woolworths, I think of that um, scene in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, where George Clooney's character gets gets in a fight in the store because he's the paraphernalias, right? The paraphernalias, and and he, and he punches the guy, and then they get thrown out, and the guy that owns the store says, "And stay out of the Woolworths." That's what he says. I think it was a Woolworths, but he couldn't say it right. Woolworths put everything out on display. They changed the way stores looked. They had glass cases with lighting, and they put products inside. And then all of a sudden now you could walk by the store and see it. And you'd be like, huh, you weren't even planning on going in the store, but you see it and you're like, Hey, look at that. I never saw one of those before. You know what? What is that? I got to have one of those. Right. And you see something else. You're like, Oh, I never thought about that. Boy, that sure is nice. I should definitely get one of those. Right. And so all of a sudden people realize this is, this is now how stores, this is what, what they show us. Right. I mean, how many of you to kill time, go to Lowe's. <laughs> or, or, you know, if you, maybe the mall or Lowe's, whatever, you're walking around all day long, you know, we're like, wow, you know, look at that. You know, I, 
I didn't, I didn't know they made that. Now I can't live without it, right? I didn't, five seconds ago, I didn't even know they made it. Now I can't live without it. I got to have it, right? And, and in fact, I should probably get two in case the first one breaks. And so I get two, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, some of you have a hard time going to those big box mega stores like Menards is going to open here in Athens soon. I hear, I hear, I, I've been in Menards like once. I remember one time when Brock and I went to a Menards in Cincinnati at a baseball tournament. I was amazed. You could get anything you want at Menards. Like you could walk into Menards to buy a wrench and you could come out with a, an entire toolkit, a mattress, a cart of groceries, a muffler, some toothpaste, and a cell phone. You can get everything at Menards. I might not be, maybe not a muffler. I don't know. I bet you could find one. You can get them. Yeah. And they give you these carts that are like as big as trucks in some countries, right? Big as the bed of trucks. And so you just, you push that thing around. You're like, oh, that'll fit in. That'll fit in here. We can put this under here. That'll fit up, up here. And you're like, you know, oh, I never thought of that. And all of a sudden you're walking out of this place and it's like, it's like, I got all this stuff, right? I've already got one of those, but I, mine, you know, that one's newer than mine. And so mine's not broke. I, I, that one's, that's a newer version. So I'm going to get this. I'll just toss mine or I'll, I'll get rid of it. Right. And that's. What, what, what's hap- what, what has happened? We, we do that stuff. We don't even realize it. We're consumed with coveting, right? Before long, we've coveted all day long. We don't even realize it, okay? I mean, that's what... And here's, here's, another, here's, another, uh, here's another justification, right? What was on sale, right? I got a discount, right? That's always a lie. That's always a huge lie, right? It was on sale. I, 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 like, I don't need it, but because it was on sale, I had to buy it, Right? And I know that that's, I've been guilty of that myself. It happens. Some of it, and you know, some people, I think what happens is, 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 you know, this becomes such a huge part of their life. And, and you might talk to someone, they might go, ah, I, I got a, I got a debt problem, right? We got, we got some debt. Well, no, actually you probably have a coveting problem, which is in your heart, which then leads to a debt problem with your bank account. It's a coveting problem that puts you in the position to have a debt problem. Because if the Father has given you resources that you can live on and we're spending beyond them, it means what we're doing is we're wanting more things for ourselves than what the Father wants for you right now. Coveting comes back to you not being content with what God has for you right now. That's what coveting is. And Jesus says, man, guys, if you would just guard your hearts, you would really believe that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. If you would really truly believe that, then you'd stop hurting yourself. You'd stop hurting yourself. So there's, listen, I, I want to say, I want to make sure that I say this too. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to say, and we're going to conclude with three, three very practical things. There's nothing wrong with having nice possessions. I want to make sure I say that, right? But like Jesus says, the problem is when your identity rests in your possessions, right? Because all of a sudden we're like, well, I don't have the money for that, but I'm going to find a way to get it, right? And I'm going to put myself into debt and I'm going to reorganize my life maybe and I'm not going to be able to be as generous and I won't be able to, to, to do things that God wants me to do and, 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 and have a mind you know, for, for those that are in need that maybe God wants me to bless, but, but, but I'm going to have that. And all of this is so that we can have what we covet. So, so you know, just honest question. When we get what we covet, pretty soon we're bored with it. I mean, it happens a lot, doesn't it? It's like kids on Christmas, right? Can't hardly sleep. Got to have this one thing. Like at the end, you know, we anticipate this one thing that I need to have, I need to have. Then Christmas comes and I get it. And by mid-January, I'm bored with it. Or it's not really as big of a deal anymore. I could realize I probably could live without it, right? And so hopefully now, I mean, I, the goal there is to, is to is to help you see what coveting is and maybe even to convince us that it's bad. So hopefully now we're all convinced that coveting is bad. So now the question is, what do I do, right? What do we do with it? So here's, here's what Paul says, okay? And we're going to conclude with this verse here from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. Some really familiar verses. This, Paul says this. This is how you do it. You crush coveting. You get rid of coveting with contentment. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. So the answer then, the anecdote or the remedy for coveting is contentment. You see that? You've got coveting, we've got a coveting problem. The answer is contentment, right? You're like, I don't want to be coveting anymore, right? Okay, then let's ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in contentment. So the Bible says in, in another place that, that uh, godliness with contentment is of great gain. So it's, it's a common theme, okay? So Paul says this, I know how to be brought low. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be flat broke. I know how to not have anything. 
And I also know how to abound. I know how to have extra. I know how to have a lot. So in any and every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret. And here's the secret. Most people don't know the secret, okay? The secret of facing a lot and the secret of being in hunger. The secret of having abundance and being in need. How to live with with a lot or how to live with a little. Here's the secret. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So coveting is the problem. Contentment is the solution. So I want to close by just saying a few things about contentment. And I'm not going to grab that just yet because I'll end up sitting here holding it for for a minute. Uh, If if coveting is the problem and contentment is our solution, if contentment's the solution to coveting, then we need to know how to apply that solution, right? We need to know how how it looks practically. So here's, here's how it looks. Number one, all right, three things. Contentment is not wanting what we want, but wanting what the Father wants for us. That's where it has to begin. You have to desire what God desires for you. See, coveting is when we only want what we want, when we only think about what we want. But when we focus our minds and our hearts around what He wants for us, it makes a difference. You'll feel the difference. You'll know the difference, right? It'll be like, you know what? Hey, my dad must... He must, he must know some stuff that I don't know about my life and about where I'm at right now. And, and, and you know, he knows what I need, stuff I don't need. And so if he tells me no right now, if this, if, if, if this must be what's best for me right now because I know that my dad loves me and I trust him. And that's who God is to you. And if you're good with that, that's contentment. That's contentment. Number two, and this is important to understand. Contentment is not nurtured by poverty or prosperity. If you, if you, there's a huge thing here in, in Paul's, there's a huge point here in Paul's words where he says, I've learned how to be content in all circumstances, in, in poverty and in plenty, in, in abundance. People sometimes tend to think that, that the way to be content is to have, is to have more. Some people are like, well, I need to have less and then I'll be content, right? People don't, you know, it's like if you're, if you're poor, you think, well, I'll be content when I have more, when I'm rich. But then rich people are like, well, I I keep wanting more. And so if I just get rid of all my stuff and then I learn how to be content, I'll be content. Here's the thing. Contentment has nothing to do with what's in your hands. It has everything to do with what's in your heart. You got to keep coming back to that. Some people think if I get more stuff in my hands, I'll have more contentment in my heart. No, you won't. No, you won't. Well, if I get rid of stuff, if I have less stuff in my hands, then I'll have more contentment in my heart. No, you won't. No, you won't. Maybe God wants you to have more right now. But maybe God wants you to have less right now. But here's the thing. Until you deal with the contentment issue, you're not really dealing with the issue. The issue is not a, is not a stuff issue. It's a, con, it's a contentment or coveting issue. You see, we live in a world that makes everything about poor and rich. We make everything about economy, right? The Bible says it's actually about coveting and contentment. It's about the covetous and the content, not about poor and rich. It's not an economic issue. It's a heart issue with economic implications. That's what this is. That's what, that's what the opposite of Coveting is content. So number three, the last one is this. Contentment is not, or coveting is not crushed, it's not ended by trying to cease your desires. I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. Coveting is not crushed by ceasing desire. Like if you just desired less, you would not covet as much. You might, you might, you might think that, right? I mean, so, so you might, you might don't mistake hearing coveting to, for being desires. That's not it, right? So you're like, well, if covetousness is strong desire, if I have a strong desire for things, if I, if I get rid of my desire, then, then I'll be all right. No, that's, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's Buddhism, right? Christianity is actually about passion and longings and appetites and desires. And all of those things are to be directed for God and for good. God wants you to have desires and passions. Those things can be very motivating, right? I mean, for example, if you're like, I, I want to know the Bible more, right? Well, good. That's a good desire. Nurture that desire. I really am concluding now. I, you, guys, I, you guys are like, ah, he's not really. I, every time we get up here, every time we get up here, he talks for another 10, 15 minutes. If you're like, if you have a desire and a passion for the Bible, good. Nurture it, right? 
Some of you are like, I want to learn about Jesus. That's a good desire. Nurture it. I want to serve people. I want to serve other people. Good. That's a great desire. Nurture it. I want to be a good steward of everything I've got, my resources. I want to be able to be generous as God's been generous toward me. That's a really good desire. Nurture it. Nurture it, right? I want to love my spouse and love my spouse well, and I, and, and I, want, to, I want to raise my children and invest in my kids and raise them well and to, to serve the Lord and love the Lord. Good desire. Nurture that desire. I want to make a difference with my life and do ministry that counts out there. Good desire. That's a good passion to have. Nurture that. That passion. The problem is not desire. The problem is unholy desire. That's the problem. And so the answer is not no desire, but the answer is God's desires. The answer is not change your behavior. The answer is ask God to come in and rearrange the motivation, the heart behind your behavior, which is your desires. Change your desires. Let's let's pray, and then we're gonna we're gonna respond through singing. And, and if you have communion at your house, this is where um, we invite you to take communion. Father God, we thank you uh, for this opportunity that we've had to just to study the Ten Commandments um, together. Even though we've been in separate places, we've been studying together, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you that this tenth commandment is is about the internal. It deals with the heart of the matter, our hearts inclinations and our heart's motivations, our heart's desires and longings. And, and, and we just confess right now, Jesus, that unless you give us a new heart, unless, unless you put inside of us new desires, we can't have new desires. We pray that you would give us a new heart. Holy Spirit, come and, 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 and take out our heart of stone and, and replace it with a heart of flesh. Re- reshape us. God, I pray for all of us as a people that we would see that coveting is the beginning of all, much of our sinning. That we, we can't just work on our outward actions. We can't just work on behavior modification, but we have to go back to the heart continually. I pray if there's no greater time in our world to see where that is true, just look around and you see that it's true. Lord, may we be people who share the heart of the Father with others. May we be examples of hearts that, Don't allow our identity to be found in anything else but Jesus. Our identity, our hope, our joy, our comfort, our future, everything. Let it be in Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.